And welcome to the first ever Pulp Friction Halloween Spectracula. My name is Rocky. Raven's name is Raven. And we are going to be talking about... What are we going to be talking about, Raven? We're going to be talking about the best film ever made, um, (laughs) Tower of Terror. Tower of Terror, 1997, Wonderful World of Disney. Uh, We're going to get into it. And um, it's going to be fun. It's after Halloween as we record, and it will be even more after Halloween as you listen. But, uh, you know, this was kind of a last minute idea for me to do a Halloween thing, and I think it's going to be a really good one. So uh, just before we really get into it, we're going to do a little bit of our news segment. Dun, 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 what's pulping? Um, let's see what is in the news right now. Chris Pratt is Garfield. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love that he's just every Italian character now. <laughs> my, my, my theory is that he got really tired of like the, the training regimen that you have to do for Marvel movies. And I was like actively angling to be more of a voice actor so he could just like yeah. chill for a couple of years. I like, I, I really, it, it's, it's very strange, especially for these, for Mario and Garfield to come out, to come up at the same time. But I also, I feel like there was a long period, like from when Guardians came out through now, where the talk, the the, the like industry talk has been that Chris Pratt is like the guy. And then he did like mm-hmm. never did anything. He had two movies that both kind of flopped in 2016. And then, you know, he obviously had Jurassic World and he had Guardians, but anything beyond those franchise movies, it seemed like he couldn't carry for a while. And I feel like maybe... He, 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 something's finally clicked recently. I've kind of jokingly theorized that it's because he married into the Kennedys, but. Um, <laughs> I can't know. think of a single thing that he's done that wasn't like Guardians or Jurassic World. Yeah, I mean, he did um, Passengers with, with Jennifer Lawrence back in uh, 2016. I've never heard of that movie. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> There's I know not her really from much of a reason Hunger to. Games. <laughs> Sure. He also he also he did um, the Tomorrow War this year, which uh, I I've never heard anyone talk about that movie, but it did come out. Yeah, also, also never heard of that movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, something's working for him now. Um, like with the Mario news, and we did a whole episode on the Mario news, but like with that one, they're sort of bearing the lead in terms of you know, who's responsible for this movie behind the scenes because uh, we've got. Uh, David Reynolds writing the film and his previous credits include, I'm just pulling them up here so that I uh, know I'm not missing anything, uh, Finding Nemo, uh, Jungle Book 2, uh, additional story material on Mulan, and The Emperor's New Groove. Oh. And the movie is being directed by uh, Mark Dindle, whose previous credits include Chicken Little, um, let's see, Cats Don't Dance, and the Emperor's New Groove. Oh no. Wait, so were they the writers for the Emperor's New Groove like during Sting or after Sting? Mm, that were I they know. were they like the ones that got fucked over? Or were they the ones that replaced the ones that got fucked over? That I really don't know. But I, I do believe that let's see, what is David Reynolds credited for? I believe he is like the credited screenplay by david reynolds is what it says Mm. here and then um 
me see. Yeah, the story by writers are uh, Mark Dindal, the director, and Chris Williams, and then the screenplay by creditors, David Reynolds. I would think that might actually mean that he did write the yeah, pre, so pre fuck over one after but, yeah. Sting, which oof. <laughs> anyway, this movie is the the first reunion of the screenwriter and director of The Emperor's New Groove. Mm. oh no (laughs) you know I feel like Garfield is such a reliable brand and I I I just watched the new there are new Garfield shorts on Nick that I didn't know about until recently that I went and watched and those are pretty good you know and I I just think that like it's really even though people have definitely gone wrong with Garfield before I feel like it's it's relatively hard to do. I also feel like John is kind of the main character of Garfield. So like yeah. if they get a really good John, then maybe this will this will come what together. What studio is making it? Uh, so it's the studio, um, it, it's being produced by Sony, but it's the studio that just did mm. Ron's Gone Wrong. And I think they were mostly like an oh. effect studio before that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've heard good things about Ron's Gone Wrong. I haven't seen it yet, but- um, I haven't seen it either. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Then other than that, um, Eternals is rotten. We, we have our first rotten uh, MCU movie on, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes here. It is, uh, it, it is out tonight as we're recording this and yeah. uh, I'll probably see it like within the next few weeks, but- um, I'll be seeing it tomorrow. There you go. I'm gonna see <laughs> uh, Spencer tomorrow. I like to see the- uh, Oh yeah. The indie movies first for the box office, but- um, yeah, Eternals has gone down actually since I last looked. It's now at fifty-one percent on Rotten oh Tomatoes. <laughs> well, I feel like okay. So with most Marvel movies, when I leave a Marvel movie, I'm like, I you know, I'm like very neutral on it. I'm just exit. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that was a movie that I saw. That was certainly a Marvel movie. But sure. I feel like with Eternals, maybe I'll have more of a take. I don't know which direction it'll be in. But maybe that's a good sign. It definitely seems like more of a movie than than what we're used to <laughs> from Marvel recently. And um, it's a big swing in a lot of ways with like, you know, having such a big cast and such a like international cast and to have, mm-hmm. you know, a, a real auteur behind behind the scenes. I mean, I guess the, you know, you could point to like uh, Taika Waititi as an example of, of an auteur yeah. in Marvel, but that was sort of, you know, Chloe Zhao was really taking it to another level, I feel like. And um, yeah, yeah. I do like her work. Yeah, I feel like I, I can't imagine someone like watching the writer and being like, well, you do what this person needs to do a fucking superhero movie. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I'm, I'm definitely the, the fact that it's doing so poorly, especially when you consider like the kind of bump that Marvel has where like if they deliver, it's going to get like 96, you know, like, like, like there's mm-hmm. you, you sort of have to scale everything up for Marvel. So the fact that this got a 50 um, is almost a good sign to me, <laughs> just yeah, in that, yeah. just in that, um, you know, people have, people like are actually kind of breaking it down. Maybe people's expectations were raised with like the Disney plus series, like the mini series that came out. Like I know WandaVision was really good. Loki was sure, really yeah. good. So maybe people's expectations were like significantly higher now. Yeah. I, I, I sort of feel like Marvel, um, is running into a problem right now that uh, you know Eternals not being a slam dunk would be would be part of it, but I also just think that um, there's this you know 
post-pandemic memory hole there was a similar thing after 9-11 where like anyone who anything that was popular like right before had to like Mm -hmm. work overtime to stay popular after and I think Marvel came out swinging with WandaVision and you know even to the extent that WandaVision was very popular uh, Loki was very popular Mm -hmm. uh, Shang-Chi was very popular but but I feel like there's been kind of diminishing returns on a lot of it where, you know, uh, WandaVision, for instance, got nominated for like 30 Emmys and then it, it, it won like two of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi was a big hit at the time and that's, it came out like two months ago and nobody's talking about it. Right, right. I heard really good things about it at the time. I didn't have time to see it, um, but I remember hearing like good things about it. And then all of a sudden I just didn't hear anything anymore. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, there, there's a staying power issue, and that just might be that they had so much content built up from, like, what was initially supposed to be a couple years worth, and then they kind of had to put it all out at once, but I also just think that um, they're fucking up their strategy in a couple ways by, like, I think a big part of it is that, and I, I posted about this on Twitter, and I wrote about it, too, but, um, you know, in phase one, it was, like, Iron Man they say we're going to do an Avengers movie. And then everything after that is sort of building up to the Avengers movie. And then Avengers movie, post-credit scene, Thanos is there. And that's sort of the thing that Mm. you're building up to with the whole phase two and three. And now they're still, everything's still connected to each other, but there's no clear like goalpost. So it's just like, you know, WandaVision starts out as this really cool thing. And then it turns into kind of a backdoor trailer for Doctor Strange. Yeah. And, you know, Loki sort of building into Spider-Man in a way. And how this Julia Louis-Dreyfus thing that Black Widow and Falcon and Soldier are both setting up. Where, like, I don't know when that's going to yeah. pay off or if that's going to pay off. Like, like I just think they're they're so committed to this, this staple. Like, part of that formula the whole time has been you have to end by teasing something that's coming coming up mm-hmm. but but there's no clear at least there's no clear roadmap of what is coming up yeah I mean I am excited I don't like Doctor Strange but I am excited for the new Doctor Strange movie because America Chavez is going to be a character mm. I love her and um I don't remember her name but she's going to be played by the actress who played Dawn in the Babysitter's Club in the Netflix show oh yeah and yeah I love her she's really talented so I'm excited to see her in that role yeah, I did. I uh, the first Doctor Strange movie is one of my one of my favorites in the MCU, and I also like the fact that Sam Raimi's on board. Um, it was interesting that they parted ways with Scott Derrickson, who did the first one. But I mean, you know, Raimi's gonna crash it, obviously. And um, yeah, I'm I'm down for that. I just feel like uh, I, I just feel like what Marvel needs at this moment is like a, is a slam dunk and clearly Eternals is not that. So for, for for the first time, maybe since Iron Man, they have to play catch up in a way, in a way that they never have before. I saw last night in Soho, there's a review of that up on Substack. I did not love it, um, but I did enjoy it. Um, And I'm I'm trying to think if I have anything to say about it. Thomas and McKenzie is really good in it. She was also really fucking good in um, old this year I think she's really been been kind of nailing it uh thus far and uh yeah I was I was having this thought about how Edgar Wright just kind of um you know had so much goodwill built up like through the through that like internet nerd culture stuff around when Baby Driver was coming out and it was like the most anticipated movie of the year and then Baby Driver kind of did hit but it feels like Mm -hmm. he lost that goodwill at some point in the process of Baby Driver coming out 
Yeah. And I think part of it for me is just like, you know, you look at those, you look at the Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, the World's End, you look at that trilogy and it's, you know, there's a lot of tricks in them, but they're basically character driven. And I feel like mm-hmm. with Baby Driver, it felt like the main idea was let's make it a music video. And with and with Last Night in Soho, it feels like the main idea is to do this, this mirror shit. And the, you know, I in both cases, I feel like the character and the story kind of goes all over the place because they're so focused on having these cool shots and whatnot. Um, so yeah, a lot of Last Night in Soho, I felt didn't really come together. Um, yeah, there's a twist ending that sort of comes off in this sort of weirdly anti-sex kind of way that 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 is bizarre because it sort of sets up at the I mean it's a movie about sex work in a way and it sets up mm-hmm. at the beginning that like the main character is very sexually repressed and sort of turned off by anything that you know hints at sex and you sort of figure that part of her journey is going to be coming to accept that but in the end um it goes in some very strange directions oh, I, haven't, <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen it yet but <laughs> Oh, wow. It's, weird. it's a weird movie. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Edgar Wright is uh, is a fun director, if nothing else. And it's it's you know, it's a it's an enjoyable flick. So that brings us to our topic at hand, Tower of Terror. And I've prepared uh, some some notes on the history, first of the ride and then of the film that uh, yes. can sort of act as a, a preamble to uh, us talking about it. So in the late 1980s, Euro Disney was designing a, was, you know, building out a second phase of development. And one of the ideas that they had proposed was a free fall ride, free fall ride for Frontierland called Geyser Mountain, in which guests would like ride to the center of a geyser in a huge drilling machine and then be catapulted to the surface. And that plan was uh, scrapped. But a few years later, Disney's Hollywood Studios kind of picked that up as they were that that idea of doing like a drop shaft ride because they wanted to get a an e-ticket attraction, which is to say like a you know something new, basically something that you can get a special ticket to. I don't know, but whatever. It's <laughs> but, like the uh, like the big attraction, like the big deal, like what draws yeah. people to like yeah. And so they were developing a lot of ideas for what this drop shaft ride might be. They wanted it to be, they played with a lot of horror stuff. They talked about doing a ride based on Stephen King's novels. They talked about a Vincent Price ghost tour, a murder mystery, a ride. I was narrated. excited for that idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff. A ride narrated by Mel Brooks, an actual haunted hotel that people could stay in. <laughs> I, I would stay in that hotel also. Like, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, some fun stuff here. One of them, th- this one's wild to be an award show honoring classic m- movie monsters, including Godzilla, hosted by Eddie Murphy and Elvira. Oh, what a duo. <laughs> <laughs> My God. I love Elvira. Um, I love Elvira. I love Eddie Murphy. I-, I can't picture them together, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> Because Eddie Murphy is so like broadly comic and Elvira is more camp in a way that they yeah. wouldn't. Yeah. You, you, like it, it's something that happens a lot, I think, with like mainstream pop culture and with Disney specifically, where they mm-hmm. can't really draw the line between camp and comedy. And they always sort of try to try to do camp and it ends up not quite working yeah. because of that. It's definitely what um, Eisner liked to do in that era with, you know, like Ellen DeGeneres and Bill Nye the Science Guy. And then having yeah. like um, the people from SNL and like an Epcot ride, you know? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Ultimately, they licensed the Twilight Zone as the 
uh, branding on the ride. And they constructed a 1930s themed hotel where guests would get to enter the fifth dimension described in the show's opening sequence. They had to build a new ride system in order to increase capacity, allow for those fast drops. The system was provided by Otis Elevator Company and the vehicle by Eaton Kenway. If you hear a story about an elevator, it's going to be Otis. (laughs) That's what I've learned recently. My dad was in France recently, and he told me this story about how he um, visited the Eiffel Tower, and they were talking about the history of, like, you know, trying to, you know, how people would get up it and wanting to, you know, have that sort of be part of the attraction. And the the elevator kind of had to go diagonally in a oh, way. Yep, so yep. They, they couldn't find a French company that was willing to do it. So they contracted Otis. Uh, Joe Dante directed the ride's pre-show film. Auditions were held to find an actor to provide voiceover as Rod, Ster- Rod Serling with consultation by his widow, Carol Serling. Mark Silverman was chosen uh, and they also used some archival uh, audio of Rod Serling. He would later also impersonate Serling for the season one finale of the 2019 mm-hmm. Twilight Zone revival. The ride was formally announced in September of 1991. Construction began in early 92. Uh, they they had to move it slightly because a sinkhole formed over where they were originally going to do it. The building's design was inspired by several iconic California hotels, including the Biltmore and the Mission Inn. Uh, Spanish colonial revival architecture was added so that the back of the tower would blend in with the Morocco Pavilion at Epcot. It really does. It really <laughs> like it, does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you go, you go to, you know, there's, there's pictures of the, of the Morocco that, and you know, it's like, it's like people talk about it. Like it's an Easter egg. Like you see that that's the tower of terror. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like I spent this Epcot several times before I even realized that that wasn't part of the Morocco pavilion. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I find with, you know, going to Disney that everything feels very big and mm-hmm. it's all, and, you know, you hear a lot of behind the scenes stuff that's like, oh, they knew that this was going to be behind here. So they sort of painted right. it this way. Like, 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 it's sort of fun how they, uh, you know, make it seem even bigger than it is. And it's very big. <laughs> so, yeah, in 1997, Disney revived uh, for not the first or the last time its wonderful World of Disney program block planned to show films from the Disney vault as well as original TV movies. This was, I think this was, I don't know if this was the time that they had just bought ABC or if that was the previous time they they brought back Wonderful World of Disney, but this was like, you know, they got ABC. They want to show original TV movies in addition to those uh, Disney vault movies. Um, And they want those TV movies to be distinguished from the Disney Channel originals, be like like a little more you know, general public, a little higher budget. It's just, you know, trying to bring in more consistent ratings. And they had the idea to turn Tower of Terror into a movie. This was the, this was the very first Disney movie based on a ride. And uh, I, I thought that was interesting. That's really become part of their, part of their oeuvre at this point, but that was, that was yeah. their first experiment. And definitely the best one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. I mean, Pirates is so good. Like the first Pirates is really good. Yeah, the good. first the first Pirates. And then as Pirates keeps going, I feel like it, the quality goes down. Yeah, there's a whole thing where like, if you look at what, you know, what Johnny Depp did as a lead, he, he was never like doing huge numbers as one. And there was sort of an idea after a while that like, where, where he was like this, you know, he had done Edward Scissorhands, he had done Edward, and those were like, relatively commercially successful very critically successful and so they're like let's make him a lead and so you can see 
other than Rango, like like anything in the 21st century that that Johnny Depp, like the the more of a role Johnny mm-hmm. Depp had, the worse the movie did. And you can yeah. <laughs> you can see yeah. it with the Pirates movies, where the first one he's very much a side character and everyone yeah. loves him, and then they make him more and more central as the movies go on and you know diminishing returns. My my hot take is that I think the one time it worked with having him as like a main character was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I love that Mm. movie. I love him as Wonka. He's, in my eyes, the only Wonka that exists. That is the Mm. only Willy Wonka movie that exists. Um, Mm. Yeah, I I love it. I love his portrayal of Wonka. That is a hot take. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll have to let it sit because I don't uh, feel strongly enough about either of the films to uh, dispute it. But... (laughs) I will say that um, I think the the Chalamet movie is going to be really good, and I there was probably a point early on where where I was part of the hate train, but like mm-hmm. I've I've come or I've you know I've come to realize, and I kind of felt this way the whole time that Chalamet is fine. There's nothing wrong with Chalamet. I love Chalamet. I'm yeah. I am looking forward to his Wonka. I don't want to prejudge it because I feel like if based on the costumes, it looks more similar to the um, Johnny Depp one, which I appreciate. Um, I hope they don't try to make any connections to the 70s one because I don't like that movie. It doesn't exist in my brain. But um, it looks it looks like they'll do something new and original with the concept, which I like. Yeah, and there there have been some leaked uh, f- there's been some leaked footage of like a musical number happening. I feel like you know it's directed by the guy that did the Paddington movies, and it really seems like it's going to be a lot of that whimsy in it. And I feel like people have seen oh, yeah. it offhand that it was going to be like dark and gritty and they were like oh this sucks and it's like no one said that like like it, right it's, right it's fucking it's paul king it's, and the paddington movies are great like yeah they're phenomenal everyone loves them and it's funny how like you know everyone's always like they can't be that good and then like maybe it's maybe they're not like you know on that on, on that like highest rated movie of all time level that they end up at but no one's gonna watch them and come out like like disappointed like everyone comes out right. and like, yeah that was good yeah <laughs> yeah yeah even if you go and expecting it to be good it's still gonna be better than what you expected exactly so uh when they had the idea to turn tower of terror into a movie they turned to are you afraid of the dark co-creator dj McHale. An important note here is that Twilight Zone was licensed for the ride, but owned by CBS. So Disney had to be very sure that their Tower of Terror movie w- could not be mistaken for a Twilight Zone thing. Yep. <laughs> and I think they did a really good job of that. At the they end did, the yeah. Like, it definitely does not feel like the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mikhail explains that the only direction he really got from Disney was to make a movie based on the ride and make it family friendly because of the limited budget. He sort of worked backwards and he was like, well, I can't do a thirties period piece. So I'm going to set it in the present day and have them try to uncover the mystery from the past. There'll be like two scenes in the thirties. Mikhail thought that they'd be able to shoot in Florida and use the actual uh, ride interior and Disney studio sound stages. They, this, you know, at this time that Florida was the only place where Tower of Terror was. Um, the, they wouldn't let him use the ride because they, they don't let people play. They don't like mm-hmm. close the ride for people to shoot and they were filming something else on the sound stages. So they had to like recreate the interior of the hotel and some of the exterior in LA on, on, you know, sound stages over there. The lobby set alone took up a quarter of the budget. So this, yep. was, 
and they had retooled it so like they wouldn't be using the lobby the whole time and then they were like well now we have to use the lobby for everything so they had to sort of you know fix it so that as many scenes as possible could take place in that lobby and then tower of terror aired at 7 p.m. on October 26, 1997, which just happened to exactly coincide with the seventh game of the World Series. <laughs> oh. uh, and that game happened to go on for 11 innings. Uh, so it essentially spanned the entirety of the East Coast and West Coast premieres of the film. Oh my God. It was not a ratings hit, but that is the last of my notes, which means that we can get into the film. I mean, that makes sense as to why the, the ratings were so low. I mean, it's the best film ever made. I was like, how could it have ratings this low? But now, now it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, now you get it. So where do you want to, where do you want to start here? How, th- tell us a little bit about your history with the film, yes. if you would. Um, this was the first horror, like technically horror movie that I've seen. Um, I was age four. <laughs> um I was obsessed with this movie. I was obsessed with the idea of being scared. Mm. And this was my favorite movie. And I would force my friends to watch it with me. And then they would be scared and start screaming. And then I would yell at them. (laughs) I was not a very nice four-year-old, but I loved it so much. And um, I remember my first time I went to Disney World was when I was four. And this was the ride that I was like, we have to ride Tower of Terror. Like, it's going to be the best ride. And of course, I hated it when I was four. I love it now. Four-year-old sure. me was very scared <laughs> of the ride. Um, but I appreciate it now. But yeah, I'm really big into, like, theme park history, especially Disney theme park history. So anything that's based on the theme parks or parts of the theme parks is just automatically interesting to me. Yeah, um, I had not uh, seen this film until watching it this week in preparation for the episode. I've also never been on the Tower of Terror ride. Uh, as a kid, I was, I was, I wouldn't go on any rides and I would barely see any movies, if, <laughs> to, to be honest. Yeah. I was like, it, it was, um, yeah, I, I was very easily, uh, y- you know, I, I, I had anxiety and I would have like, I'd have like panic attacks about uh, uh, about things. And so I it wouldn't have crossed my path. But I'm trying to think if there's any sort of, if I have any angle into this movie at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I've, I've been interested. I'm definitely interested in the history of Disney and their rides and their movies. And uh, the, the fact that this was the first movie based on a Disney ride was definitely interesting to me because I, you know, I, I, I think that the history of that alone is very interesting. And the fact that the, the, the story of Jungle Cruise <laughs> earlier this year, I think sort of speaks to how despite every, like, like, like that ride thing with, with, even when Pirates came out, it was like, this is never going to work. And then Pirates was such a hit that, yeah. um, they you know that it seems like it's still part of their philosophy that like we could always just do a movie based on a ride yeah I miss I do miss their ride-based movies though because I feel like once they started focusing on pirates they kind of drifted away from making ride movies and I like that they're bringing it back mm-hmm. with Jungle Book I mean not Jungle Book Jungle Cruise Jungle Cruise um, and Muppets Haunted Mansion oh yeah and yeah and Muppets Haunted Mansion um Jungle Cruise is my favorite ride at Disney mm. So I was very excited and I'm really hoping that this opens it up to make a cinematic universe for 
the C Foundation, the SEA, uh, Society of Explorers and Adventurers and the Disney theme parks. It's a whole universe that starts with the Jungle Cruise and connects to like Phantom Manor and Thunder Mountain. Um, but yeah, so I'm really hoping that it opens the doors to make a whole cinematic universe on that. That would be really funny. Did you see Jungle Cruise? I did, yes. What do you think? Um, I was mostly neutral mm -hmm. on it. Um, I liked the references to the ride a lot. I thought that those were really funny. I liked the beginning. I loved The Rock. He did a great job. He was perfect. Sure. Um, I loved the woman who played, what's her name? Trader Sam. I loved having Trader Sam be a woman because mm -hmm. um, I was not expecting that at all. And I had seen her previously in season two of Why Women Kill. I forgot her character's name in that, but she was really good in that show. And then seeing her as Trader Sam, which was a completely different character, was incredible. Loved her. Um, the plot was okay. <laughs> Didn't really have any hot takes either way. Um, I mean, it was fine. Yeah, it was weird to me. When Jungle Cruise was coming out, it was like the first reviews were coming out and it was like, there seemed to be an attitude of this is this is actually really good and it was going to be it was going to be maybe another pirate thing or to a lesser extent a pirate mm -hmm. thing where it's like oh there's a, there's actually a lot to this and then as it got closer and closer to coming out i was seeing more and more people be like actually it's not good <laughs> I, mean, I think it's definitely fine it's not the worst of the disney live action theme park movies sure that goes to country bear jamboree <laughs> the country, country bear jamboree uh with uh christopher walken yeah. is, is the villain of that right yeah <laughs> that's what one of my favorite things at disney world i love country bear jamboree i every time i go i have to do that at least twice i love them um but the movie is just so sad it's just not good yeah, it's really the kind of movie that could only have been made at that point in like the late 90s, early 2000s, like, the, you know, with the, um, the those Ninja Turtle like yeah. <laughs> costume yeah. things at the, yeah, it, it's just not when something you make that the bears a costume that's not an animatronic. That's when it gets weird. <laughs> that's when it gets creepy. <laughs> it's like the reason we all like it so much is because they're animatronic bears from the 70s. <laughs> Right. So this movie opens up, you know, eerie music, the whole the whole nine yards, candles and uh, whispering and the title appears on screen. It started on Halloween 1939. And so we see that whoever is doing this ritual has an invitation to a Halloween party at the Tip Top Club on the top floor of the Hollywood Tower Hotel. And as the invite burns down, we cut dramatically to an exterior shot of the tower and the title Tower of Terror. I mean, we can just kind of get into it with this with this opening sequence here. I feel like I, I like the energy. There's there's some interesting transitions in this opening mm -hmm. sequence. Like like you know, the first tower tower thing is good, and then we cut to like an elevator door opening, which I get is meant to mimic the ride, but then it's to an right. overhead shot of the dance, as if we're in a sideways yeah. elevator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's a really weird layout. <laughs> I love the shot of everyone like entering um, the hotel though. Like when Sally Shine walks in and like curtsies. I love that shot. Yeah, that, there's, you know, there, there's some fun kind of movement happening in that scene. And um, I'm trying to remember if I think um, I, I read an interview with the director of Mikhail and I think he said that this was like, you know, this scene was the hardest part to do. And I, I'm trying to remember what exactly that was, but uh, 
the, the thing that I, I mean, there's a lot of movement in it. That There's the, um, you know, it like swings through the crowd and then to the like clarinet player in the jazz band, which I thought was yep. an interesting one to focus on. And then he like points his clarinet over there and suddenly we're in yes, the lobby. In the <laughs> yeah, I love, I love that shot. They do a good job of implementing the music. I love Sing, Sing, Sing. Every time I hear that song, I think of Tower of Terror. That's just yeah. the Tower of Terror song. Sure. I, I feel like you can really tell that, like, you know, the swing revival of the 90s, this was, like, yep. this was really sort of, you know, in that era just by the way that they chose to do that. I feel like, um, obviously, swing would be a part of it, but it feels very Mambo number no. five, very, like, yes. you know, <laughs> uh <laughs> Devo, like, like 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 you know all, all those elements are are there and then yeah there's that uh that shot of um sally shine entering we we keep cutting back to the uh to the to the exterior of the of the hotel and at first i was like why do we keep cutting back to this but then you can see the storm crowd clouds are rolling yep. in and it starts to make more sense <laughs> And then, yeah, uh, Sally and her caretaker and a few other folks get into the elevator and uh, lightning strikes. And so this was actually a really cool transition, I thought, where like mm -hmm. the lightning strikes and everything goes white. And then Steve Gutenberg yeah. like comes into frame on the white background. That was yes. really cool. <laughs> I love that. I love that transition. So we're introduced to our guy, uh, Buzzy, Buzzy Crocker here. <laughs> who is um uh, a tabloid uh journalist he um we see him sort of setting up this uh alien autopsy photo shoot with uh, this actor playing a doctor who doesn't know that there's a, a person in the in the alien costume yeah and then we're introduced to steve gutenberg and kirsten dunst our our sort of two leads for the, for this movie what do you think of what do you think of Gutenberg and what do you think of Dunst? I loved Gutenberg in this movie. I just I feel like he was very into it, like into his character. He seemed to be having fun. And he just seemed like a fun uncle, like someone that would be like, yeah, he seems fun. Um, Kristen Dunst was OK. I didn't really have any solid like takeaways on her. Um, I mean, I think she played the role fine. It wasn't much of an exciting role for her to play. Sure. But. Yeah. Another thing that Mikhail talked about is that like because of child labor laws, they very much had to like, you know, they had a certain window of time they could use her in. And so they really had to like right. figure out sparing ways of, of having her included. In terms of Gutenberg, I feel like he was very much in this like zone at this point in his career where he, you know, it, it's like the post three men and baby era where he's like, Disney wants him for everything the same year he does like it takes two and he does the sequel to yes. Casper like he you know he's he's very much in this but like this is his lane right now and I feel like he definitely delivers in that regard and I also thought it was interesting how just, just looking at like what he did after this he kind of like like, like, the, like this was kind of it like pretty shortly after this he was like working on he was trying to get into directing and he eventually puts out P.S. Your Cat is Dead in like 2002 and that's his, you know, directorial debut. That flops and then like, that's it for yeah, him. I, <laughs> the only thing that I think I'm familiar with of his is Tower of Terror and It Takes Two. I yeah. think that's all I've seen. Yeah, but he, uh, you know, he was a very 90s kind of kind of guy. I mean, you know, Three Men and a Baby was a hit and I was like, okay, here's Steve Gutenberg. But uh yeah, I definitely think he was fun. I would actually say that I was 
particularly impressed by the Kirsten Dunst performance as much as I, I agree that there's not, you know, a ton to go <laughs> to, to, to go off of in yeah, that yeah. role. I feel like, you know, in terms of child actors and also just in terms of like roles that don't have that much going on, I feel like she really, you know, she nailed everything. She was always in the right place at the right time. She does do a lot of sort of, sort of wistful sighing, I found. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like, that's sort of a, a tick of hers is that she'll just be like huh <laughs> but yeah. um, it, it was like a character trait she decided that <laughs> yeah but this was you know she was like 15 in this yeah yeah I you know I was really she had done like interview with a vampire the year before and she did Jumanji the next you know two years before right. or she did two years before this and then she did wag the dog this year and it was like you know the it, it's an interesting path for her where like this is she, she's still doing the kid stuff here and I think she's really crushing it and kind of coming into her own and she transitions really seamlessly into like teen roles I think with yeah, like virgin yeah. suicides and dick in the late 90s and then it's funny because I always think of Spider-Man as like her first, you know, mm-hmm. adult Kirsten Dunst role, but actually she's Same. 20 and she's supposed to be a high schooler. And oh, I, yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> well, I feel like for the audience, like the audience is different for that movie too. Like Definitely. that's more of a general audience, but you're going to have more adults watching it. I feel yeah and I think there's an element that Raimi brings to that with just like the fact that Tobey Maguire is so clearly not a high school student and right. they don't they don't really try to dress either of them up as high school students like they really you know they said they they're, they're sort of more focused on the, the characters yeah and then and then yeah I guess she's you know post Spider-Man 3 everyone kind of everyone who was in it kind of had to like go away for a little bit but then she came back with like Melancholia and now she's great indie movie tv you know crushing it Kirsten Dunst, we love to see it. And Kirsten Dunst also gets the end credit in the in the in the opening credits here. It's like going through the castle and she's like, and Kirsten Dunst. It's oh, and yeah. 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 So let's see here. Uh, we get some of the headlines that he has, uh, that Buzzy writes, um, talking dog possessed by spirit of Mr. Ed. <laughs> Frozen ghost found in freezer. I thought was really love good. that one. I love that one. <laughs> And then in that in that first scene, we get the. Uh, they, I feel like there was a very tight kind of save the cat structure to this, where everything was, you know, we get the opening image and we get the the introductory stuff. We get this this you know theme stated line, really concisely here, where Buzzy says, "Truth doesn't count, selling papers counts." And then Anna says, "Did mm-hmm. you ever want to write something real?" And then that obviously comes back when the the thing turns out to be real, and it's like, it, yeah, it's you know very like tight elementary filmmaking here I feel like in a lot of ways and then we get uh Anna's mom uh who turns out to not be super relevant but comes in pretty quickly uh she's 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 trying to plant trees is the thing and no one wants to plant (laughs) trees with her (laughs) I always forget about that character like I just forget that she exists and then I see her and I'm like oh yeah yeah, because you've got you've got Jill and you've got um the God, what's what's that character's name? Um uh, Claire. Claire, Claire yeah. yeah. And then and then you know, Trish sort of comes in at the beginning and it's like she's gonna be important, but then she's in like two other scenes of the movie. Right. And she like shows up right at the end and it's like what <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no one wants to plant trees with her, and it's it's a real shame. She's she's got those groceries. She's got a newspaper with her. She 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 gives us the great line. You know, one day your uncle's gonna wake up and realize he's not a kid anymore. And then Anna gives one of her wistful sighs and says, "I hope not." 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're introduced to Jill in the next scene, the head of the Los Angeles Banner, the real newspaper. And uh, Buzzy uh, jump scares Jill in her office. She's like, 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 we got the scene of her walking around. Her assistant's like, he's here. And she's like, keep him at the door or whatever. And then he goes into the office and uh, she yep. goes into the office and he's there. <laughs> he's there. I love her. I love her so much. Um, I think Nia Peoples in this movie was my gay awakening. Yeah, she, I mean, she's great. <laughs> she, she's, she's really good in it. And I feel like, you know, Nia Peoples is another somebody who was, who was like kind of a thing at this moment and sort of didn't do much afterwards, but like, mm-hmm. you know, she really, she really did crush it also. <laughs> like, like, I think she gave a really strong um, performance here. I, I like how when when Buzzy is like in her office, he he's got one of those giant cell phones, and he's like, yes, he's like pretending to call someone, <laughs> like, <laughs> like as if he would really like casually be in her office calling somebody. Like right. that was really, <laughs> it was really good. And then uh, he's pitching this story about a corrupt recycling company. Another plot point that sort of gets tossed out there that like yep. <laughs> he, he's always coming to her with like actual pitches for stories and like that's really the only time we see it. But it's like where do, where do like, like like is he also doing like investigative journalism on the side? Because that really doesn't come up at any other point. I think he's like attempting to, but they just don't take him seriously. Yeah, right. He he doesn't have his foot in the door, and he and Jill uh, used to date. As it turns out, that's uh, another thing we learned in this scene. And another thing that doesn't really become relevant until the very end, but I guess we'll we'll sort of come back to that. Then we have uh, Buzzy helps his old neighbor with the groceries, and he let a woman that he thought was Buzzy's mother into the house. Turns out that woman is Abigail, played by Amzie Strickland, a fan of his work who has a pitch for him involving what really happened at the tower, which is this story that everybody knows about how Sally Shine and several others disappeared. Uh, she pulls out a picture of, of uh, Emmeline or Emmeline Partridge and, uh, and Buzzy like recognizes her, which I thought was, <laughs> was kind of funny, I guess, because he's like yeah. a paranormal guy. So obviously he would know about the story. He describes her as, <laughs> she says, she looks like a real witch. And then, <laughs> and then Abigail's like, she was. She was. <laughs> According to Abigail, Emmeline's black magic was responsible for the disappearance. Buzzy tries to tell her that all his stories are bogus, but uh, she doesn't believe him. And he ultimately agrees to take it when Abigail points out that people have wanted to know what really happened for 60 years. And this is like, you know, he's motivated by selfish uh, reasons, basically. And then uh, we get another jump scare moment when he goes to the the tower and Michael McShane's cue shows up out of nowhere. He's a guy who can get things for you. Uh, his grandfather was the bellhop who disappeared in the elevator, um, or his great-grandfather, and so he would inherit the place. The, the line is, I'm the last living relative, man. When the mystery gets solved, I inherit the works. Cha-ching. I love him. <laughs> He's really good. <laughs> it's so 90s to have that character. I love him. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if they were going to remake this movie, and they are doing a new Tower of Terror movie, but it's not yeah. going to be, it's not going to be this, but... Uh, it's definitely not. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, but I think it would, first of all, I think it would be really funny if, like, the stuff actually came out and Scarlett Johansson is playing, like, Jill, and it actually is just a remake of this movie. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I think she'd be good in that. But I also yeah, think that... I could see her as Jill. 
if they did that, you've got to have Paul Walter Hauser in this role. <laughs> like, the, it, yeah. it's, it, it's just, it's there. And Michael McShane, I think, does a really good job of it. Um, he's He's got so many great lines. He refers to the bellhop as a great grand dude. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I guess his great grandfather owned the place, and then the bellhop was the great grandfather's son. But he was the one who, you know, it's a complicated thing. But uh, Q has never been inside the building because it's haunted. And Buzzy's like, "You want to come in?" And he's like, "No way, man." Buzzy's like, "Yeah, right." I love how he just chills outside of it. He like, just hangs out. He's, he's like, never been inside. He just hangs out there. <laughs> yeah, he trims the hedges and he's like fixing a car or whatever. But he doesn't mm-hmm. <laughs> like. He's 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 the handyman, but he's never walked into the place. <laughs> He has nothing better to do. <laughs> right. What I felt was really interesting, this next sequence is where Buzzy steps into the tower for the first time. And I feel like there's sort of a weird progression in terms of like how present the ghosts are and how like, mm-hmm. like where the scares are. Because first it's like he hears an owl, he looks and there's no one there. And then the eyes on an owl statue light up. And then he's reading the guest book and we just hear this disembodied voice cackling. And then a fountain pen drops out of nowhere and almost like like hits his hand. There's the eyes lighting up and then there's a bat and then there's the pen dropping. And then he walks past a mirror and Emmeline like straight up peeks out of it. <laughs> yeah, that scared me as a kid. I- I was so scared of that scene. <laughs> I, I thought the pen was good, but when she just like pokes her head out of the mirror, I'm like, well, now he's giving it all away, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> like, just... See, yeah, the pen, the pen was scary as yeah. well. Cause you're like, oh, he's gonna, it's gonna stab him. But yeah, I love, I love the effects of her peering out of the window. I'm not the window, the mirror too. It's very cheesy kind of takes you out of the vibe <laughs> yeah great 90s stuff definitely the sort of stuff that disney is is doing at this point trish uh is adamant that buzzy can't use anna as sally shine for a photo uh she's like i thought you wanted a true story and then uh dunce does another romantic sigh and then asks trish to please let her do the photo and uh you know she reluctantly agrees it's a fun little scene and then buzzy's like let's roll and he hands anna he hands Anna a curly wig and Anna's like, what is this? And then Buzzy does, <laughs> it's this weird thing where Buzzy's like looking out the window and then back at her and then he's just like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no explanation. Yeah, just, I mean, like, it's not that weird. It's just a wig. Like she, it's just I, a wig. <laughs> yeah, it was so easy to just be like, oh, that's what her hair looked like, <laughs> you know, right. it's a wig. I mean, everyone everyone knows the Shelly Sally Shine story, so I think yeah. like, she'd probably know that she had curly hair. But yeah, just a, a weird little scene in there. Um, Q doesn't know what the ghosts look like. Again, he hasn't been in there. And then we're you know we have uh, an actress walk in out of nowhere. We have Claire Poulet, played by Melora Hardin. I love her. I love She's Claire Poulet. She's great. She crushes it. I there's you know they, we sort of get this um this love at first sight moment between them when they uh with you know they just have that that classic movie thing where they like sort of stare at each other for a second that their and their mouths hang open and she's smiling and then um you know in terms of the the twist of her ending up being a ghost we you know we'll get into the twist itself when it comes up but I definitely when she showed up I was very much like. Did they send her there and not tell her what the part was going to be? Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't remember what my first reaction was to her. Like, all I re- remember is, you know, just her as a ghost. 
because I've seen yeah. this movie so many times since I was little. Um, but I do, I do love her in that role. And she does a very good job of capturing that like 1939 actress voice. Like it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. And, and you sort of, you buy her as being like a modern day actress too. Like, like, yes. like it, you know, I think she strikes a good balance there. I also kind of think it's just one of the many things in this movie where like, if you're paying attention to the story when she shows up, when you start to pay attention to like the story that Abigail is telling, there's a lot of things that's like, wait, that doesn't really add up. And then it turns out to be something different. And so, you know, it's, it might've been better if the original story kind of did add up, but there's definitely a fun to like, you know, being told a story and being, you know, especially if you think about this as a family movie, stuff the kids would watch, just like being told a story and having that rudimentary, like, I don't know if that really makes sense. And then like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't make sense because this is what really happened. As a kid, I did not pick up on any of that. I was just like, uh, I was so shocked at the plot twist and um, I just totally bought into it. I was like, yeah, this, this is adding up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, looking back now, I'm like, it was so obvious. But as a kid, I was shocked. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of the, like, specific twist of, like, um, the Claire twist, I kind of didn't see coming. But when it happened, I was like, yeah, that makes more sense. But then with the, um, with Abigail being the witch, it was something that, like, two minutes before that scene happened, I was like, oh, Abigail's the witch. And then, then, like, it started to get really obvious. And I was like, well, now I feel stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I did not pick up on it as a kid. I was very shocked when I pieced that together. Like when the person who was like the nanny ended up being nice and iconic. (laughs) Right. She's great. I I, I love that they, you know, that, you know, it would have been very easily to take like a, easy to take a character who's like not traditionally attractive and, you know, and make her the villain. And there's a lot of examples of like kids movies of this era doing that. And so I I think it's a, it's a fun twist to be like, I know actually she's great. Yeah. I loved her. Yeah. I mean, I still don't understand why they like included that scene of her, like peering through the mirror earlier, really throws you off. Um, well, well, yeah, there's there's a few scenes like that that we'll, we'll get into. Buzzy goes to investigate some strange music. I uh, guess jump scared by Anna, and this camera accidentally goes off as as as, she sees, as he sees Anna in costume. Um, the music stops, and then he tells her to stay close, and they start moving, and then the music starts again as if it was just moving in the direction that they were going but uh and maybe it was i mean they were definitely yeah. you know we we know from after the fact that the ghosts were trying to scare these people off or some of them were so yeah, yeah. there's like the the sound of like rattling you know dishes then they open the cabinet and the china is still it's collecting dust uh, it starts raining inside and, and, and another moment where it's just like suddenly taking it up to 11 where it's like oh the the cups aren't moving and then they turn and there's like the literal ghost of sally shine is right there dancing yes. in, the, in the indoor rain like <laughs> that that scene also um terrified me as a kid i had to skip that scene every time i watched the movie because her voice in that scene was so haunting yeah, she's doing one of those. She's doing one of those uh, trailer covers of "It's raining, it's pouring." The old man is snoring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and like that creepy little kid voice. Yeah, yeah, it, it's. <laughs> it definitely looks cheesy, but sure. when I was a kid, I thought that was the scariest thing. <laughs> yeah, it it to me it feels a little bit like. 
I guess they weren't totally going for horror, but it feels like uh, th- there's sort of an underlying misunderstanding. I mean, this is a guy who did Are You Afraid of the Dark? There's someone who like knows how to do right. horror, but like right. for all these moments where it's like, oh, uh, you know, there, there's a bat in the cupboard and then like the ghost literally walks in front of you. <laughs> you know? yep. it's, it's, it's just sort of all over the place. After that, we get uh, when when the Sally ghost shows up, Dunst does another sigh and says, I think I'd rather be someplace else. And then suddenly we have the cart with the body on it. And and uh, Anna says it's a dummy. And then suddenly the hand moves and it picks up a knife and it's a headless waiter. (laughs) In terms of ghost logic, there's a you know, I, I again have a question of like where did this body come from? Is there, is it just, you know, is it just an image of a, of a headless waiter where like, like it's, it's something that comes back at the end that we'll, we'll obviously get into, but like no one else disappeared and yeah. like, like everyone, everyone else at the party yeah. was fine. So it, it, there's a lot of these moments where it's like, you know, a waiter shows up and at the end when everyone's there at the party, it's another thing, but just, it, fe- it feels like <laughs> something was lost in translation there. Yeah. The ghosts have magic and can enchant things. <laughs> I guess so. They can, you know, pull things out of out of their ass. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Anna and Buzzy are talking about seeing someone with uh, with with their head cut off, and I feel like they, I feel like they were freaking out, but not really in a in like a scared way. More like, I mean, Buzzy's line is his head cut off. I'm telling you, I think my brain's gonna explode. Uh, <laughs> like just sort of a weird like reaction yeah. to that you know you would expect them to be, to be you know scared and not like you know I'm, I'm, I'm it's the craziest thing I ever saw but you know whatever um Buzzy plans to bring Jill in so we can get it in the banner prove the existence of Ghost then Q says tomorrow's Halloween and, <laughs> and kind of chuckles and I thought that was really funny but so yeah once again Buzzy's got a new motivation it's not just about cracking the Sally Shine story. It's about proving the existence of ghosts and, you know, once again, betting, getting back in the limelight as a reporter. Yep. Buzzy ambushes Jill at the office again. He pitches her the story. Uh, they go into her office. It's funny when they go into her office because she, like, hands him a snow globe that he's tossing around for the rest of the scene. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I want to know if that was, like, an actor choice or a director choice. Yeah, it, it 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 feels like an unintentional thing, but it's like, you know, I, I feel like there was a deliberate choice at a point to have him be tossing the snow globe and then maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe she just like tossed it to him sort of without thinking or maybe there was an idea of like, maybe she hands in the snow globe and it's like, you know, they have this sort of rivalry, but they, they you know, they were close at one point, like they, you know, they, they can kind of have fun together in a way. I don't know. Jill tells Buzzy that he needs to... He needs to find the voice he lost a long time ago. Uh, she calls his name as he's leaving and he turns around like, yeah. And she says, don't come here anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then after he's gone, Jill takes a note of, of Abigail's name. So she's like, yeah, let's, let's see what's going on here. She decides to investigate further. So we hear that uh, the curse was supposed to just affect Sally, but it affected everyone because they were all in the elevator and she didn't have personal affects from all of them. And that, that was another moment where I was like, the story, the, the story as it's being told doesn't really add up in terms mm-hmm. of like, why did she make this plan where she would be in the elevator and why, like, you, you know, the right. the story that's being told, it doesn't, you know, you, you can tell that something's not right. 
we get a at the end of the scene there's sort of a fun transition where anna says uh we have to do it this is the one where abigail sort of going through what happened and then and then we get this transition where buzzy has like the lock of curly hair and she and he like drops it mm. onto the book and then there's a circle wipe like like from that ring of hair out to the next scene yeah and then let's see anna says so i guess the truth does count so it all comes back Hugh says to ching again uh <laughs> and then um what's this line here this is a line where uh they're like outside of the place and they're about mm-hmm. to go in and anna says what about miss partridge and abigail turns to the gate and says beware of her evil does not die and then as they're about to go in claire appears in a new outfit and and buzzy's uh, and anna's like we don't have time for pictures and buzzy's like yeah we, let's take some pictures with her whatever <laughs> And then, yeah, Abigail stays behind at the gate, and that's the first moment where it's like, okay, so something is going on with her. <laughs> yeah, I, I hated that shot of her, like, peering through the gate. <laughs> it was, I don't know, really on the nose. <laughs> Weird angle, too. Weird angle. I guess I like the choice of, you know, in terms of telling the story and trying to, A, not quite make it a horror movie, make it family-friendly, mm-hmm. and then also not exactly do a Twilight Zone thing. I guess I you know, in the, in the sense of like kind of revealing at this point that something's not adding up and then sort of like building more and more of what's not adding up until you get the reveal. I feel like that is well done. Um, Claire and Buzzy sort of have this uh, talk where Claire reveals that this is only her second gig. The first one didn't really work out, which is a good line. Buzzy reveals his backstory to Claire and how he was like a hot shot over at the banner and he ran a story about the mayor taking money from the mob and the video evidence that he got turned out to be fake. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun backstory there. I feel like the delivery from Gutenberg in this scene was not, uh, it was not crushing it for me, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's how it is. And it's like snooping around in there. She's looking at the guest book. She finds uh, Gilbert's glasses and she goes to get them. And then the guest book, move slightly <laughs> which again just sort of a weird balance of like what the scares are and what like, like how these hauntings happen because like in the same scene she's like the, she, she's telling the ghosts like i'm here to help you and they you, and, and she, she she like doesn't hear them at first but then she turns a corner and like one of them's got a knife and the other one's got a noose and they're you, you know yeah this is the other moment where like like when uh, emeline is coming out of the mirror there where it's like I'm getting mixed messages here where these right. are these are friendly ghosts who want to be helped, but they have also they're also coming at you with with knives. And they did try to stab uh, Buzzy too with that pen. So Yeah, yeah. Definitely mixed messages. And Claire, there's in the Buzzy and Claire scene, there's a there's a good line where Claire says, I thought you wanted to help the ghosts. And Buzzy's like, What do I care about some moldy old ghosts? I don't even know. First of all, that's mm-hmm. a funny line. But I also in that moment, I was like, why is why does Claire why is Claire drawing this line about helping the ghost that doesn't feel like it makes sense for her and then when it's revealed a few scenes later that she is a ghost it's like oh my god now that all makes sense yeah yeah and there is I feel like there is that division of the ghost too like some of them are more wanting than others yeah we'll get into that in a moment um Partridge tells Anna to go away Sally asks Anna to fix the elevator so they can get to the party I mean, she has this encounter with the ghost when she runs out, but then we cut to um, Jill meeting with uh, Dr. Daniels over at the sanitarium, and uh, he tells her that Abigail's been a patient there since the spring of 1940 and has been allowed to venture off the premises for like a week. (laughs) 
<laughs> which yeah. if, if you've got someone in there for you know 60 years would you really be like okay now you can go out like yeah it's like oh at this point like what's gonna happen what you gonna do <laughs> yeah and we certainly don't get the impression that she's like in her best shape <laughs> at this moment yeah. like it, it's no, hard yeah. to imagine what what changed about her that they were like yeah we can let her out for a little bit whatever um also the fact that like the party was on halloween and she was admitted in the spring <laughs> right right was... there, there's a lot of paperwork to fill out <laughs> yeah they had to go through the proper channels and you know <laughs> sort of a slow burn but the ghosts uh show themselves and then they're kind of hanging out and being silly and it's like you were you know you had the knives and the deuces like a minute ago and now you're just right. started, now you're just and now they just chilling. chill yeah and then we immediately get the twist that claire is a ghost and um you know that, that that whole plot i feel like they didn't I, I feel like they didn't draw out the 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 thing about claire being an actress for too long i feel like they you know brought that together in a good way but there's also a certain sense of like that felt like an establishing thing early on and then for them to be like no claire's a ghost and everything you do about her after this point is wrong um and then we cut back to the doctor and we get the twist that abigail is was sally shine's sister Yep. And and then Claire uh, lied to see what they were up to. She was trying to, you know, sort of ingratiate herself to them. And then Gilbert has this line about how she had a crush on Buzzy and that's why she did it, which um, we'll, we'll get into as we get to the ending. But it's sort of a weird uh, <laughs> sort of a yeah. weird plot point there that doesn't yeah. also doesn't come up at all just in terms of in terms of the romantic stuff in this movie none of it really comes together there's no reason for any of it <laughs> it doesn't add up Let's see she was going to be on stage for the first time at the party and that's what she meant when she said that her first gig didn't work out yeah. this was the point where i wrote in my notes this is 54 minutes in that miss partridge is innocent and abigail cast a spell and then that was ultimately revealed uh two minutes later <laughs> yep <laughs> The ghosts say that they had threatened Anna earlier because they were trying to scare them off, figuring that if the story about, if, if their existence went public, they would be like zoo animals. So it sort of seems like there's this schism among the ghosts about like how how to approach the this, this story here where, you know, Claire thinks that they want to help them and the ghosts were trying to scare them off to begin with. But now they're like, we don't want you to go public with this because, you know, everyone will treat us like freaks. That's another thing that doesn't come up ever again. But the, mm -hmm. you know, that I, I thought that was an interesting idea at least. And uh, yeah, just like that, uh, Jill finds the uh, underside of Abigail's like dresser thing, and yeah, she <laughs> she did that, it. That that scene is another one that traumatized me as a kid. <laughs> I could. See I that, hated yeah. like the doll, especially whose head popped off. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. yeah uh I, I i could see that being a lot but it was it, it was sort of funny to me how um the doctor came in and he and he was like well if you tell someone we're gonna deny everything and we'll sue you for for trespassing and it's like yeah what's your stake in this <laughs> right <laughs> right <laughs> and that doesn't come up again either but um th at that point i was also like why did Abigail go to Buzzy? <laughs> like, 
like what was the and I don't know if that ever really gets resolved maybe you know it's because she wanted you know she got let out and she was like okay now my plan is I'm going to finish what I started and make sure that that the spell is actually complete and that they actually go to hell um that's what it's about but um did she go to buzzy did she figure out this whole plan where like she was i don't i don't imagine they would have you know tabloids in the in the sanitaria but did, did she <laughs> f- figure out like okay so buzzy will um get me in or did she want to kill buzzy too for some reason i think is she it- wanted to use buzzy because maybe maybe your thought process was oh if i'm working with someone on something they'll let me out because <laughs> like she probably just doesn't have anyone else to communicate with yeah so like, but- oh she's communicating with someone and working with them like sure she can leave and finish sending her sister to hell yeah but she like first of all they they let her out and she shows up at buzzy's house and that's that's like their first interaction second of all she has the key to the basement yeah. of the of the of the hotel. She gives that to to Buzzy, and mm-hmm. she doesn't know what he's gonna do with it. So like, <laughs> it's it sort of feels like if her plan was just to complete the spell, she could have gone to Q and sort of right. you know like like Q thinks there's ghosts in there. She could have told the same story to Q about how so and so did this, and you gotta you know we gotta get in and then stop them, and then would have really cut out the middleman there. Mm-hmm. And then we get more ghost stuff. I really liked uh, Gilbert's voice a lot. She, he, he's like, "We are doomed." Fun, yeah. He's he's sort of a jackass, but he's fun. Um, mm-hmm. There, there's the scene where they're at. Um, they they go to Buzzy's place and they're sort of trying to figure out like what they got wrong and stuff. And they um, kind of sort of figure out that maybe it was Abigail, but they figure out that they've been sort of being played here. And then at the end of that scene, they leave and Abigail was like hiding <laughs> in their closet yeah. the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I, I don't know when she got, like, like when she got over there, she was at the, she was at the tower when when they went in. And then I guess she just like walked over there while they were in there. But um, we get Abigail's uh, first incantation. She's doing a lot of incantations in the in the back end of this movie. Uh, I call forth the might of the starry realm to once again bring fire energy to pierce the night. She gets back to the tower at some point and she's at the basement doing the doing the whole spell thing. Um, they figure it out and uh, let's see. Anna is in. I you know I put took notes on things I like when I was actually happening. I think Anna is at the hotel. Buzzy is not because Buzzy. Right. Uh, because Buzzy is going to write the story for uh, for yeah. Jill, yeah, and so uh, Abigail tells Anna it's already done. The spell is cast, and the elevator will crash like it was supposed to sixty years ago. Meanwhile, Buzzy is like at the office late night, about to write the story about abigail and then he kind of finally figures out what's really going on and so he takes Mm -hmm. jill to the apartment and then to the tower when he's supposed to be writing the story and uh the and the gang they all get in the elevator thinking that uh q has finally fixed it that's the other plot point is that q doesn't doesn't feel confident about doing it and and he and his grandfather kind of makes him believe in himself and then he doesn't actually fix the elevator. <laughs> like it's the spell no. that, that that makes it go again. But he thinks that he did. I mean, good for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we 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 love him. He's he's trying his best. 
And so, uh, yeah, Anna gets in the elevator trying to stop it. And then as she gets in, Sally gets out for some reason. So now Sally, mm-hmm. Jill, and Buzzy are in the lobby while Abigail uh, while Abigail is somewhere in the building and while Anna is in the elevator with the ghosts who are about to get sent to hell. So they confront Abigail and Jill, you know, gets this far without Buzzy, like, telling her what's going on or anything. Right, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> Like, I wonder what they were talking about, like, in the car, <laughs> you know? It's, but, um, yeah, Abigail s- says, we get we get this, you know, the thing earlier about how Abigail's birthday is on Halloween. That's something that we knew up top, but then now it's finally, like, it was my birthday and nobody remembered. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's, like, uh, all that mattered was Sally, and uh, she wants to finish the spell because Sally's been haunting her this whole time and mm-hmm. she she kind of thought that like she would do this and that would finally be the end of it but now she's like even more popular than she's ever been before and so she's like I have to finish this and I started to think like first I was like still sort of begs the question of what Buzzy has to do with this but then I was like was her plan this time to have Anna get in the elevator so that someone else would die and then that would be the story I never thought of it that way but that makes more sense because I was like, oh, I guess if she sends her to hell, like if she sends Sally to hell, then she knows like, oh, my thing is complete. And then she just feels better about herself, um, which right, is what but- I had always thought. But yeah, that wouldn't make any sense for her like motive. Right, because so, she would still she would still be haunted by the fact that right, Sally is yeah. incredibly popular. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, I never thought of that before, but that makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's certainly not stated that that was her plan, but that's, you know, the way that I make sense of it. And then we get um, another twist that the party at the Tip Top Club was actually a birthday party for Abigail, which means yeah. that whole, it's a great twist, but that whole scene we saw at the beginning was a child's birthday party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's so weird to think about i mean i guess like the birthday party was technically happening at like the top of the like the um tip top club and not in the lobby um but it's still weird (laughs) yeah my my impression was that like the party part of that scene actually was in the tip top Mm -hmm. club and then it was like panning over to the lobby oh i thought that was all like one spot but that that makes sense yeah i mean it's definitely it's filmed as if it's one spot but i think that was just you know to, yeah, to, having fun with it, and then when they actually go to the tip top club, it looks like the scene at the beginning. So I, I think yeah, that's, that's what true. It is. Yeah, the elevator is gonna crash at eight oh five. That was a little confusing to me because it was like because the clock struck eight o'clock, and I was like, oh no, they're out of time. But it's like, oh wait, it's eight oh five. Eight oh five. But it's just such a weird time. It is. Yeah, not sure how they uh, came upon that, but. Uh, Maybe they were trying to shoot for eight o'clock and there's a problem with the clock. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Q calls Buzzy chief. It's a fun one. Uh, they, uh, they get up in the in the service elevator, which I think Q has a line about how the service elevator is like turned on once a year and they, they, yeah. they, like, they do maintenance on it. And so it's like in working order, but like doesn't really add up. Um, we get this shot of the two elevators, uh, which... I think is a it's like a it's like a scale model thing and then um Anna works up the courage to jump and Sally gives Abigail the bracelet as the as the lightning strikes causing 
both elevators to drop for some reason. That that's the thing is the lightning is from the spell. So yes. so why would the other elevator drop? <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe she wasn't expecting the service elevator to happen, and then the lightning was just like, "Ooh, two elevators can't decide." <laughs> Well, yeah, maybe it's like maybe there's a certain practical element of like yeah. it's just it's just you know I mean lightning she isn't gonna up. only strike one. <laughs> she messed yeah. up her spell again. She messed up once again. <laughs> <laughs> she fucked it up again. And so um, let's see, the spell is countered by its inverse, which is Sally's forgiveness of Abigail. But I mm-hmm. a, a thought that I had at this point is like. At what kind of surprise party do you get an invitation, but you're just not told it's your party? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's so sad. They, they sort of set her up to be to be pissed off when they're like, yeah. you're invited to a party on your birthday. <laughs> right. Like, there must have been, like, a part where she's like, mom, is this, like, is this my birthday? And it's like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> Don't worry about it, kid. <laughs> it's Halloween. But, yeah, it's... um. Very strange. Uh, yeah. So my thought is it's probably like half-assed. Like they would get to the party and they'd be like, "Oh, happy birthday!" By the way. Yeah, I mean, in the middle of all this commotion, are they going to stop and be like, "Happy birthday, Abigail"? I don't know. So they finally get to the Tip Top Club, and we see all these people who survived. <laughs> these people who did not die that night are hanging around at the Tip Top Club as if their unfinished business. Is is that Abigail didn't get to go to her birthday party? Yeah, they've just been partying for like sixty years. They've been turning up, or they like lived long lives and then they died, and they're like, "Why are we back here again?" And, and yeah, 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 yeah. They're like Abigail. They were like they got old, and all of a sudden they just got here. Yeah, they died, and they ended up back there. And then people are starting to disappear, and. Um, we get, you know, people f- have their unfinished business and then they, you know, when things, you know, when Claire finally gets to do her song and then, so Claire does, does her song. <laughs> yeah. And then Gilbert comes up to her and asks her to marry him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't know, see, okay. It, it, I didn't know that they were going to be like a couple until that point. Because right. I thought she had like a thing for for Buzzy, right? And then even you, he Gilbert was like, he, yeah, he was like, you were like making love eyes with Buzzy, like you're obsessed with Buzzy. But I guess he was just jealous that his girlfriend was in love with someone else. There's no like, like he's he's kind of mean to her the whole time. And yeah, they, like, like there's no moment of like, and then she and then he comes out like, will you marry me? Like they, there's no indication that they even knew each other before they both right. got in the elevator. Like right. I don't know, man. That comes out of fucking nowhere. And he's like, and this the- is what I've been waiting to do for years. And it's like, is it? Because I feel like if I died and was stuck in a hotel with like four other people, and my plan was to propose to one of them, um, I would just tell them like the day after. I'm like, oh yeah. shit, we died and we're ghosts now. I was going to propose to you. I mean, maybe they fell in love after they became ghosts, but even so, what was holding him up? <laughs> right, right. And then like... Like all we get of Claire is scenes of her and Buzzy falling in love. <laughs> yeah. Like, 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 like there, there's a whole romantic subplot with her and Buzzy that just gets completely dropped because Gilbert's like, "Will you marry me?" Yeah, it makes it makes no sense. 
because I think realistically we were supposed to be rooting for him and Jill the whole right. time. But it's still like, why did they include the romantic scenes of him and Claire? <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Emmeline doesn't really do any unfinished business. She just kind of goes. It's sort of like, you know, she she was obviously affected by the curse, but it's a little bit like, you know, why did everyone else have to wait? Why did she just go away? But then mm-hmm. the thing that really fucks with me, did Abigail die? Yes. <laughs> yes. So Abigail dies. So yeah, Abigail, because her like unfinished business is like um, accepting Sally and then like reuniting. So yeah, she becomes young again to live out her dream and then they die together. Right. But so like, Sally's a ghost and mm-hmm. Abigail is a living old woman. Yeah. And she and she has this, you know, she has this closure with uh Sally and then she dies in the elevator, I guess. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the she next time we see her. It was way too thrilling for an old woman. <laughs> <laughs> she just died <laughs> when they did like the um act of forgiveness and like she handed the bracelet she just died she could not handle it <laughs> she, her heart was swelling with emotion and she yeah. she collapsed and her her body is still in that service elevator this woman hasn't had human contact for like 60 years at this point <laughs> and then like all this you know with the claire getting to do her song and gilbert proposing and sally like i feel like the real closure would have been for Abigail to like get to go to her own birthday party, right? Right. <laughs> right. But it's still like, oh, it's just a party. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, it did happen to be your birthday party, I guess. Yeah, like like she, you know, she has this this closure with her sister and it's great. But then I I just feel like the obvious thing would have been like. She has this forgiveness and now she's she's cool and she's, you know, mm-hmm. cured or whatever. And then they take her to her actual birthday party. Like, yeah. like all these people are waiting around at the party for for Claire to do her song. Like what? Like, like, right. Like the song really was the birthday party. <laughs> yeah. And then really, if you think about it, with, with with the way that it's set up, they were waiting for Sally to come back to Abigail's birthday. Party. Right. <laughs> right. No one was waiting on Abigail. Yeah, and she doesn't. No one knew who Abigail was until she's like already dead. Yeah. So yeah, and then we get a um, we get a a, an in the future scene where Q uh, is in a big suit with shades on, and we get this Mm -hmm. really we we get this very pointed shot that he's wearing sandals with the suit, which I thought was kind of weird, just because like I he seemed like a sandals guy. I don't think there's a, there's a whole thing about him wearing sandals before that. <laughs> right. Right. It's just his vibes. <laughs> Definitely. And then, and that's kind of the last shot of the movie too. Cause like we yep, see the yep. sandals and then they do a picture and it's the newspaper cover and then that's newspaper, it. Yeah. <laughs> so the yeah. final reveal of the movie is don't worry, man. Q's got his He's slides got on. His sandals <laughs> on. In case you were wondering. <laughs> And that's that's the most important part of the film. <laughs> exactly. That's the note to end on. You begin on uh, the truth and uh, journalism and you end on Q's got on those fucking sandals. slides, man. <laughs> so. <laughs> and and what's what's the closure with Buzzy and Nia Peoples? Like, is there 
no <laughs> they, we get that final shot of like of like the whole family together and like mm-hmm. he and jill seem to have gotten back together and then it's um I, I, trish is there again and uh, it's her and um anna and then yeah q is is the owner of the hotel yeah it just doesn't really say it it just kind of shows it like oh yeah by the way yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything in this movie. That ra- <laughs> I guess I guess the the thing that wraps up in a satisfying way is that Q gets the hotel. Like that that's yeah. the one thing I feel like in the whole movie that actually comes together. <laughs> right. And I'm guessing he never published his other story. Right. The, yeah, what did Because then there was the conflict of like how he couldn't write the story because it wouldn't be ethical because he should have helped the ghosts instead of writing the story but he could have written the story the next day yeah but he didn't have proof at that point so like yeah he definitely lost that story but i guess he's like back on top because he figured out this whole thing with abigail and now he's gonna put that piece out about abigail and abigail's gonna seem like an awful person and she just had this this closure where she didn't get to go to her birthday party (laughs) i don't know man you can't you can't include that in the article (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's but then like the newspaper shot we get at the end is just that like the hotel's back open it's under new management everyone's having a swinging time so maybe that's just what the story yeah is that's that's end. his news story which is a weird <laughs> you know big break back news story it's just hotel opens again like that doesn't seem like a big you know news story but sure <laughs> yeah in a way it kind of seems like there's this talk about being motivated by the truth and the fact that he lost whatever journalistic spark he had, but really it's just mm-hmm. about once he's sleeping with the boss again, he's back on yeah. top. You know? Yeah. I mean, earlier in the movie, he was like trying to like submit real work again. And they were like, no, no. Nah. Yeah. He had that, that recycling story. seemed like, yeah, the recycling like a good story. Thing. Why didn't they do yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. It's like, he was obviously trying. Right. So yeah, I definitely, there were things that I had fun with uh, in this movie for sure. Um, Definitely in terms of, I I had read that thing about how they were trying to make the Wonderful World of Disney movies a little, a little like scaled up from Disney Channel movies. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is basically a Disney Channel movie other than, other than that it's Steve Gutenberg. It's like, yeah, I, I, I think for that it's fun and there's some decent effects and uh, like I said, I think Kirsten Dunst is really good. And I think that there's yeah. some some fun narrative ideas there. I just I just kind of feel like there's so little in it that is set up and pays off. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like, like I would put it in the same category, Disney Channel wise, as Don't Look Under the Bed, which mm-hmm. is like their most serious spooky movie. Um, but that one... I feel like kind of does have a stronger plot than Tower Terror, even though it's a decom. But they're both, you know, more for a mature teen audience kind of thing where it's like, oh, this one's going to be a little scary. Make yeah, sure you I, watch mean, with your family. Good, I mean, Smart House, I think, is a great example of like a yeah. good decom that's also a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that this is a good even though it doesn't feel like the twilight zone it does there's sort of an anthology quality to it where it just you know it's kind of a slight story and it feels like it feels very are you afraid of the dark in the sense that it's like you know a self-contained story but it feels like it's kind of part of a 
you know, monster of the week sort of thing. And um, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think, it, I think it's enjoyable. And it, it, you know, really the closest thing you could compare it to probably is an episode of, are you afraid of the dark? But um, yeah. Yeah. And on that level, I would say that it's enjoyable. I, there's just so much, it just really like, once they get to the ending, a lot of it kind of does fall apart. I feel like. I mean, and also, I feel like it also kind of have, has vibes of so weird, the Disney mm. channel show about the girl who was um, communicating with ghosts and stuff. Cause her dad died. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause she had the like blog um, called so weird where she was like doing investigative journalism on ghosts and the dead and, just trying to like reconnect with her dead dad but i mean there were some episodes where she was like helping ghosts and talking to them um and this was a similar vibe to that show yeah i i feel like if i was gonna like punch up this movie i would like to see it go a little more adult from where it is now and mm-hmm. be sort of uh sort of a, like the santa claus and those kind of like le- le- yeah. like a lot of those you know christmas comedies of the late 90s early 2000s but just have like you know, flesh out a little bit the story of Buzzy as a journalist to kind of have that mm-hmm. be sort of a, a running thing throughout. And this is a pretty short movie, you know, it could stand to be a little bit longer, but then also just like maybe doing, maybe sort of being a little more measured in in how you do the ghost mm-hmm. stuff too. And just sort of, um, you know, I, I, I feel like the bones of a really good movie are here. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> There you have it, Raven. We have uh, talked about Tower of Terror. <laughs> yes, I I love this movie. I love this ride. Um, other thing I thought was interesting was how the ride, the ride's version of this story differs from the movie version of this story. Like it's the same story. How it's like mm-hmm. the people in the elevator, and then there's the lightning. I mean, obviously, like when you're on the ride, it doesn't talk about Abigail or anything. But the Twilight Zone episode that it's showing you beforehand, because it's basically like you're walking onto the set of a Twilight Zone episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and beforehand, when it shows you like the introduction to the episode and what the episode is on, the episode is like, we're looking back on this weird event that happened in the Hollywood Tower. So it kind of feels like that came out before the movie, like before they realized it was Abigail almost, um, which I think mm-hmm. is interesting because it's like a report on the story as well that is interesting that is interesting i wonder if yeah i I wonder if they ended up working off of uh you know trying to tell a different angle on the same story of the ride right you know because the ride doesn't really go into much detail other than lightning struck and there were these five people including sally shine Uh, yeah i I guess this movie's strongest suit might be how it fleshes out that story actually because i you know the stuff about like you know the sister and the fake out with someone else to doing the curse and the fact that there was you know Mm -hmm. this curse and the birthday party thing like i I feel like all that is like good story stuff to build on to the tower of terror story and that is why once again i do kind of feel like I would appreciate it if the uh, Scarlett Johansson Taika Waititi take on this is a version of the same story. I hope so. Because I feel like if they try to do anything different, it'll be weird, especially with the ride's narrative. Like they can't do a completely original story, I feel. Yeah. Unless Disney's running out of their deal with, you know, the Twilight Zone, in which case. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I I, I do kind of think that um, it's always hard to say. It's always hard to say. It it feels like it's going to be somewhat of a different direction. It might be completely like, like what DJ Bikel was talking about being completely set in the thirties and just telling the, the story right. from that angle. But um, 
yeah, like I said, I would like to see the narrative that this movie builds out from the ride be sort of brought back right. in a way, even if it's not about Buzzy and, yeah. <laughs> and, and his daughter. Yeah. What's with Disney characters named Buzzy going missing, man? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Raven, thank you so much for joining me this week. On, on yeah, the of first course. Ever. Thank you for having me. You, you've been a great guest. You're welcome back every time. This has been the first ever, like I said, Pulp Friction, Halloween, Spectracula. And next week we will have a normal Pulp Friction episode. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.